0: In your Bibles to the book of Acts. If you're visiting with us, we have, it is our habit to preach through books of the Bible, and so we have been for some months now in the book of Acts. We are in Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 34. I appreciate larry 's uh, prayers for me that I would uh, preach with boldness we have been um, i 've been out of town with my family uh, up until about ten thirty last night we 've been trying to go and see my my mother in law mandy 's mom and uh, with the, the two memorial services we had to kind of shift things around and Finally, uh, just left on Wednesday evening uh, for a quick trip to St. Simon's Island. So I got in here this morning at 6:30, kind of doing a dry run uh, of of everything, trying to to get my mind settled. And everything just seems out of out of whack for me for some reason. And so I was concerned about uh, about my my preaching and. And, uh, and it actually was very encouraging to hear Larry pray about the very thing that I was most concerned about as he prayed for me. Acts chapter 17, beginning with verse 16. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, for as I passed along and I observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. And He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined uh, allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward Him and find Him. Yet He is actually not far from each one of us, for in Him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own prophets have said, for we are indeed His offspring. Being then God's offspring, we we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent, because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this He has given us assurance uh, to all. By raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, "We will hear you again about this." So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius and the Arab Areopagite, and a woman named Demarius and others with them. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we do pray that uh, You would uh, cause Your Word to accomplish all that You have purpose for it to accomplish. Father, I pray that You would help us as a result of not only reading Your Word, but hearing it proclaimed. Help us to stand against the flow of and the, the tide, tide. Sometimes it feels like tidal wave of culture sweeping us along. Help us to stand for our Lord Jesus and for His glorious gospel. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we saw that the Apostle Paul was sent on his way from Berea, where he had been there preaching, and he was sent on his way because of the jealousy of the Jews who had come from Thessalonica, uh, and they were stirring up the city against Paul. So, uh, he left... He left Silas and Timothy behind. He went on to the city of Athens uh, to wait for Silas and Timothy to join him. Uh, ancient Athens was a great city. Four hundred years before Paul came to the city, it was the city. Or it was the center of the development of Greek philosophy. Uh, being a philosophy minor in college, um, I, uh, I. I enjoy uh, the Greek philosophy. That's where you begin cutting your teeth uh, with the pre-Socratic philosophers and moving on into Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, and, and, and the people that followed them. Um, all of those, those men I just listed, plus others, It was also uh, Zeno, Epicurus. Uh, they all lived there in the city of Athens. It was also, uh, the city of Athens was also the center uh, for, for, um, for art and for architecture. It was in Athens that uh, math and logic and science were all developed. Um, one of the commentators said that Greek plays and Greek oratory is still unsurpassed even after so many uh, thousands of years. And the first attempt at representative government was attempted in Athens. Ancient Athens really, in a very important way, shaped the world we live in. Shaped the culture in which we live. And this was Paul's first trip to Athens. But instead of being impressed with all the culture, all the art, architecture, all the accomplishments that came from Athens... Paul was, instead of being impressed, was very distressed. Uh, in, verse, in verse 16, it says, While Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. A Roman writer who was living around the same time that uh, Paul uh, was visiting the time of of uh, or or visiting the city of Athens, uh, said that it was easier to find a god or an idol than it was to find another human being. Uh, The the city was that full of idols. Of course, there was the Parthenon uh, with this enormous statue to Athena. And it was said that um, the golden spear point on Athena's uh, spear could be seen from over 40 miles away. There were also temples and idols to all the Greek gods scattered all over the city. And this was a shock to Paul's system. The Greek word here used for provoked is a very strong word. It's the same Greek word that's uh, used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, when it talked about God being provoked at Israel's idolatry. So Paul is incensed rather than being impressed. He is incensed and, and provoked in his spirit almost to the point of being sick to his stomach because of all the idolatry. Henry Martin is a well-known missionary to India. He graduated from Cambridge University and he decided to dedicate his life to the mission field. And so he arrived in India in 1806. And there was a lot of pressure for him to be the chaplain or the pastor to the little British colony that was there uh, in that part of India. But while he was, uh, when, when he first arrived, he observed a Hindu uh, funeral uh, procession as they were uh, passing down the street, and here's what he wrote in his diary. Before before the stumps of idols, the people prostrated themselves, striking the ground twice with their foreheads. This excited more horror than me than I can well express. I thought that if words, that if I had words, I would preach to the multitudes all day, if I lost my life for it. And this is kind of, this is very similar. To the reaction that Paul had when he saw all the idols there in uh, the city of Athens. Uh, He was provoked in his spirit. Let me ask you, how do we react when we look out uh, across our own culture? We live in a great country. Americans have done things... That, that stagger the mind. In our short history, we have done some wonderful, great, uh, truly amazing things. There's a lot to appreciate and admire. But there's, a lo- uh, but there's also a lot that should provoke us in our souls. Although superstition is not as blatant uh, in our culture as it was in Athens' culture, there is still widespread idolatry that covers our land, that permeates our culture. The gods have different names, but their worship is no less real. The gods we worship today are the gods of recreation, sensual pleasure, human reason, self-centered happiness and we could go on and on. All these things vie for our attention and they rob Christ of the worship that He deserves from us. Uh, the world views America as a Christian nation. All the Muslim countries looking in at us they say, America is a Christian nation. Yet what do they see us worshiping? Not Jesus Christ. Rather, they see us worshiping created things rather than the Creator. And this brings shame to the, to the name of Christ. And it ought to deeply trouble us in the very pit of our stomachs that there is such widespread idolatry. And that our Lord Jesus Christ, His worship is substituted for things that uh, are not even real and have no lasting value. The great temptation for us is to is to uh, not is rather to be swallowed up by our culture. As we ask the question, what can we do about our culture. What can we do about this this idolatry that uh, that we see that permeates our culture? What what can we do about it? Well, as I said, the great temptation is to be swallowed up by our culture because we live in the middle of our culture. We were raised in our culture. Our friends and family are members of our culture. Our culture has multitudes of inroads into our lives. We have television. We turn off the television, and then we have the radios um, and the MP3 players. We turn off our music, and then we have the Internet and social media. We turn off the computer, and we have our cell phones. We turn off our cell phones, and we have reading materials of all kinds. We close the books. We have video games, and we could go on and on and on. All the different ways that that... that our culture makes inroads into our souls and all these things i will admit are fun and they're not bad and evil of them in and of themselves but they can entice our affections away from spiritual things they can manipulate our free time they can dull our hearts to the things of god so that we are no longer provoked by evil or idolatry. We just become dull. One of the most important things that you can do to stand against the encroaching idolatry in our culture is for you to simply stand against it and remain provoked rather than getting swept along with the tide of culture and being changed by culture. Our calling as followers of Jesus Christ is to change culture, to bring it under the reign of King Jesus. Also, uh, or beyond simply remaining provoked by culture, We are also to engage culture. Notice what Paul's reaction was after he was provoked in his spirit. In verse 17, So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. In other words, the Apostle Paul, when he was provoked in his soul by the idolatry, he didn't run away. He didn't go and hide. He didn't go into a building and close the shutters. He did not flee from culture. Nor did he self-righteously condemn everyone around him and cause a great scene. Rather, he went into the synagogue, went into the marketplace, and he reasoned from the Scriptures. He engaged culture with the Scriptures. It is more difficult to engage our culture today um, I know when I was in Uganda uh, you could go from house to house and you would tell them I am from America I am here to tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ they would invite you into your, to their home and you got to converse for as long as, as you wanted to be there about the Lord Jesus Christ here it's not that easy everybody is so busy there's so much background noise that it's hard for our message to get through. Plus, there are so many people vying for our attention that it's very easy to turn off uh, the Christian message. And we must find ways to engage culture that captures their attention without compromising our message. And what should be the content? Of our message well the content of our message should be God that's what Paul did he went into the synagogues he pointed them to God to God he went into the marketplace he pointed them to God look at verses 22 through 29. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. As I passed along, I observed the objects of your worship. I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, what therefore you worship as unknown. This I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. And we'll go on, and I'll continue... Uh, Referencing uh, these verses, he found a point of contact. The point of contact was this altar to the unknown God. And he went from there and made a beeline uh, to the true God. Notice here, he didn't try and prove God's existence, he didn't feel the need to defend Scripture's authority. He simply proclaimed God's truth. And then he let God's truth be its own defense. You've probably heard about Spurgeon. Someone came to him and they said, How do you defend God's word as being God's word? Spurgeon said, How would you defend a lion? He said, The way I would defend a lion is I would just let it out of its cage and let it defend itself. And so that was Paul's, I mean, uh, Spurgeon's point about defending God's word. Just let it out and let it defend, uh, let it defend, be its own defense. And so that's what he's doing. He is here talking to people who have never heard about the true God. And he doesn't take time to try and prove God's existence. He doesn't try and take time to prove the authority or the uh, inspiration of the Scriptures. Rather, he proclaims God. He says, first of all, in verse 24, that God is the creator of all. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. He is telling them... It is not Zeus. It is not Poseidon or any other god. But God alone is the creator who made the world and everything in it. And the reason why he is able to proclaim this without uh, making defense, and I'll say more about this next week as we look at this passage again, is that he knows already that everybody has a knowledge of God. Listen to Romans chapter 1. Verses uh, verses eighteen and following, the apostle Paul says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give Him thanks. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images res- resembling mortal man, and birds, and animals, and creeping things. In other words, Paul knew that everybody at some level has a knowledge of God. A culpable knowledge of God. And they at some level are suppressing that knowledge. All the other religions are not people trying to find their path up the mountain to the true God. Rather, in Paul's way of thinking, all these other religions... Our efforts at suppressing the knowledge of the true God and trying to run away from Him. And so you say, or you hear the question all the time, well, what about the poor native that has never heard about God? Can God hold them responsible? They are responsible. Even if they have not heard the message of Jesus Christ. Every individual is responsible because every person has the knowledge of God plainly revealed to them through what has been created. But because we're sinners, because we're children of Adam, born as sinners, we immediately start suppressing that knowledge. And so when Paul here is is proclaiming to them this unknown God, He is not necessarily giving them a compliment. Oh, I see that you have an uh, uh, an, uh, an idol or an altar to an unknown God. He's not saying, "Well, you found yourself halfway there." No, it's actually a mild rebuke, but He's finding a point of contact. You have so many gods that you even have one to the unknown God. Well, I'm going to proclaim to you what you call unknown. I'm going to make him known to you. And I'm going to tell you that he is the only God. And that he is the creator of heaven and earth. Not only that, verse 25, he goes on to say that God is the sustainer of all things. Verse 25, Nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself give life to all, gives life uh, to all mankind life and breath and everything. God gives life to everything. We don't exist on our own. God is self-sufficient. He doesn't need us. Rather, we need Him. None of us can exist without God. We need Him every moment. He gives us life. He gives us breath. He determines the length of our days. Just like I was telling the, the children, it is so tempting Take God for granted, and to think, well, I've made a decision to follow Jesus. I've taken that care of that, so I can live my life like I want to. And we saw what happened to the Israelites when they made that their strategy. We need God every moment. Not only that, Paul says that God is the sovereign God. He is the Father and Governor of all. Verse 26, And He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. God indeed is the sovereign Lord. He is in control of all nations. He is in control of the future of all nations. Just to to be contemporary here, there are um, senators and congressmen and our president, uh, even today, um, deliberating and trying to determine the course of our nation as they debate the debt limit. Ultimately, God is is the one who is in control of the destiny of our nation. God is in control of the destiny of every human being. God is in control of the length of your days. God is in control of where you live. He is the sovereign Lord. He is the God with whom you have to do. Not only that... God is the judge of all. Verses 30 and 31. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent, because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed, and of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. God is the judge. He is not only our creator. He is not only our sustainer. He is not only the sovereign Lord in whom we live and move and have our being, but He is also our judge. It's part of what scares me about this whole debt ceiling debate. The more that they debate, and the more that it just seems to be ignorant, or as one um, One uh, article I read, uh, Theater of the Absurd, I think, well maybe God is just showing that He is going to judge us um, because everything seems so broken up in Washington. God is the one to whom we, to whom um, we owe our existence. And so let me ask you this morning this is what I'm driving at. This is what Paul was driving at. You have to deal with God. You live in His presence. Do you trust Him? Are you keeping Him at arm's length? Everything about your life has to do with God. Paul, as he is pointing them to God, he doesn't simply leave them there. But rather, look again at verse 30 and 31. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. That's what Paul's aiming at. He's aiming at repentance. Why is he aiming at repentance? Because he knows that all people are sinners. He knows that the entire audience that he's speaking to in Athens, that they are sinners. That they are separated from God because of their sin. All of us here in this room this morning are sinners. And we would be separated from God for all eternity because of our sin. But here's this word repentance. It's usually thought of in a a negative term, but this word is filled with hope. Why is God telling us to repent? He's telling us because there is a way of repentance that He has provided for men. And that way of repentance is through the doorway of Jesus Christ. God, in fact, He says here, even as He is talking about judgment, and says that judgment is certain because of a man whom He has appointed. This man whom He appointed, who indeed came to earth, who indeed was raised from the grave. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the good news. Jesus Christ, when He was stretched out on that cross, He took our judgment. If Jesus Christ is your Savior, all your sins, your past sins, your present sins, your future sins, were nailed to the cross with Jesus. All your sins, past, present, future, are forgiven in Him. This is the good news that Paul is proclaiming to them as he's pointing them to God and he's talking about repentance and judgment. He's really talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. So have you fled to him? I mentioned Henry Martin to bring this full circle. Henry Martin, the missionary to, to India, He was in a culture. Just one man, it seemed at the time, ministering to untold millions of people, telling them about Jesus Christ. And there was a language barrier. Did he give up? Absolutely not. Let me give you the postscript of his life. He moved there in 1806. He died in 1812. Ministered only six short years there in India. you know how many conversions he could point to? Only one. And yet we hear about him and hear how great a missionary he was. He was faithful to God. He was provoked in his soul because of the idolatry. And so he engaged the culture. He pointed them to God. He pointed them to repentance. And only saw one person come to Jesus. But because he was so provoked in his soul, he took the scriptures and he began translating them into the language of the people. And after his untimely death, the scriptures were left behind for those people in their own language. Other missionaries came used his translation of the scriptures, and untold millions came to Jesus Christ because of Henry Martin's faithfulness. We live here in America. We have a more Christian foundation than Henry Martin had in India. We have more mutual support. It is still very tempting to get swept along by culture. Commit yourself to Jesus Christ. Commit yourself to other believers. Commit yourself to thinking. Um, that is placing your, 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 your thoughts on heavenly things and, and, um, and, and fill your mind with God so that you won't be swept away, so that you'll be able to stand firm, that you'll be able to stand against the tide of culture. Commit yourself to Jesus. And He will use you to help stem the tide. Let's pray together. Almighty God, I remember reading uh, in my preparation for this sermon some of the commentators saying that this was one of the Apostle Paul's least effective um, missionary stops. And I think they were taking the short view. God, help us to take the long view in our own personal witness, in our own personal engagement with culture, in our own personal uh, standing against the tide of of, uh, godlessness and wickedness. Father, help us to point to our Lord Jesus, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross so that we might be your own dearly loved children and that we might be your ambassadors in this dark land. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.